Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1. Welcome if you're watching us from home or in the overflow. Glad you're with us. Happy that you're here with us live. If you didn't bring your Bible, uh, now that things are getting back a little more to normal, I can tell you in the seat in front of where you're sitting, there's a black hardbound book. That's a Bible. That's an ESV Bible, which is the Bible I preach out of. If you want to use that one this morning, we're on page 918. You can follow along with us. I'm starting a new series this morning that we've entitled To Live is Christ. It's a walk through the book of Philippians. So over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to do a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. I kind of laughed with the first service because I do this every time I preach through a book. I'm never quite certain how long it's going to take. And I looked at this one. Philippians is a short book, only four chapters. And I looked, and there's about seven or eight weeks until summer. And I thought, maybe uh, we can get through this book before summer. And as I got into it and started studying this week, we're going to do two verses this morning. So I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to take us, maybe a little longer than eight weeks. But I pray in the process that God really encourages you and blesses you. I want to give you a challenge, whether you're at home whether you're first-time guests, whether you've been with us for 40 years, I want to challenge you with something. Philippians is a relatively short book, about 1,600 words, four chapters. It's a pretty easy read. I want to encourage you to at least, over the course of the next many weeks, read through the book one time a week. You can read four chapters in a week. You can really read four chapters in probably 30 minutes or less. If you're really excited and really want to delve in, why don't you read the book of Philippians every day? Spend some time every day reading through the book. You'll be amazed when you begin to reread scripture, how the Lord's going to speak to you through that scripture. And so just make a commitment. I'm just going to do this, whether it's once a week or once a day or a couple of times a week, whatever that looks like. I want to encourage you to read through and be challenged through this book as we work through it together as a church. Now, I want to kind of set the tone this morning. We're going to look at the first two verses, but I want to give you kind of a big picture overview of where we're going because you're going to notice that themes really run throughout this book as Paul kind of explains what's going on to this church. Paul, when he writes the book of Philippians, is writing from a prison cell, okay? So just kind of wrap your mind around that idea. Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. And so when he writes his book, he's going to talk a lot about struggling, about difficulties, about persecutions, about the idea of being a servant, of being a slave. He's going to think about difficulties. This is a difficult time for Paul when he writes this. This is also a difficult time for the church. They're kind of invaded by false doctrine. They're fighting against the things of the world that are difficult for them. It's caused some division within their church. Listen to how one writer explains it. He says, Philippians is a joyful letter, but its undercurrent is a sober realization that time is running out. Paul himself was facing a possible death sentence. The church was tense ready for the assault of a menacing world and for the insidious encroachment of false 
doctrine. I thought, you know, that makes sense in the first century. It still makes sense today, doesn't it? We still face trials and struggles in a time especially when Christianity has been marginalized, uh, set aside, laughed at. I don't don't know how closely you follow this. I follow it pretty closely. But the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled several times in the last many months about church gatherings during COVID. You should do a little bit of research on this. They've ruled in favor, I think, six or seven times now just in the state of California, the Supreme Court. And the last ruling was in favor of the church to be able to meet by a five to four margin. You see what I'm getting at right here? We're on razor thin lines right here, folks. We are one justice away. And this is not a political statement at all. I'm simply saying to you, we are one justice away going the opposite direction from churches not being able to meet in person. And if you think I'm talking about North Korea, I'm not. I'm talking about the United States of America. And so we're kind of faced with this proposition for Christianity, at least things are difficult. The future doesn't look good, at least when it comes to those sorts of things. And so as we understand the book of Philippians, we're going to understand this simple truth. We can remain faithful to Christ even in the most difficult circumstances. Okay, Philippians is going to guide us through this. So let's take a look. Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to look at two verses this morning. It's kind of the introduction to the letter. But Paul, this is important, sets a foundation for us that's going to last throughout the rest of the book. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen as well. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi or at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are simple verses. It's interesting, Paul kind of begins this. We do things differently now. When you write a letter or an email, maybe it's a better way to put it, you sign at the end. Back then when they wrote letters, they wrote their name at the beginning to let you know who was writing the letter. So this is written by Paul Timothy is his helper. We kind of know the story there. But I want to point out to you three words. Three words in this text is really going to drive Paul's heartbeat. It's going to give us kind of a picture of what he wants us to understand and a foundation for us, not only this morning, but as we carry through the rest of the book over the next many weeks. So go to that next slide if you would. I want you to notice these three words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints In Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz here. You ready? Ready for your pop quiz? How many, any English nerds out there? Okay, a couple of people. Y'all already know where I'm going with this, a couple of you. What type of speech are these three words? Nice. Look at y'all. Prepositions. Very good. Right? Prepositions kind of talk about relationship. Uh, my daughter learned a song with prepositions, right? There's all kind of about, above, beyond, whatever. I don't, know the, I don't know the song. She knows it. I knew it probably in the seventh grade. I don't know it now. But these are prepositions, right? They help us understand the relationship to Christ. We're servants of saints in. We receive grace and peace from. You see that? Right? This is kind of the heartbeat. Paul's going to talk about the possession Right, We're a possession of Christ, we're servants of our position, we are saints in, and the provision we receive from. You see that? Of, in, 
from. This is going to really form the foundation for us to understand what Paul's doing here. So let's just jump right in. First truth this morning, number one, we are servants of Christ Jesus. We are servants of Christ Jesus, right? There's possession there. He owns us. Okay, I'm gonna get there in just a second. I'm gonna flesh that out for you, but I want you to understand a couple of things here. Paul wrote this book. Paul gives us at the very beginning his name. In fact, if you were to read through most of the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, his name is the first word in all the books. That's kind of interesting. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, on down the list. The word Paul, the name Paul, comes first. Why? Because he's the author. But I want you to notice what he does in verse 1. Pull verse 1 back up if you would, please. Paul begins by helping us understand that he's the author, but he immediately now goes to the foundation of Christ. Paul, Timothy, author, but we are servants of Christ. Watch. Christ's authority is central to this letter. If you take away Christ's authority, this letter has no foundation. So everything Paul's going to talk about, everything Paul's going to write about, all the struggles Paul's going to walk through, all the difficulties he's going to elaborate on to us, we understand that at the heart of that, at the center of that, built on the foundation of that is Jesus Christ. John Stott, who's one of my favorite authors, said this, He said, the Lord Jesus dominates Paul's mind and fills his vision. It seems almost as if he feels compelled to bring Jesus Christ into every sentence he writes, at least at the beginning of this letter, for it's through and in Jesus Christ that God's new society has come into being. Now, Paul is an important person, but Paul doesn't rest on his authority as an educator or as a great teacher. Paul doesn't rest on the authority of being well-respected. Paul rests on the foundation of Christ. Foundational, right? So just kind of a side note here, application. No matter what you're going through, no matter what struggle you're facing right now, however difficult it might be, you need to build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because if you're not, you're gonna struggle. That was true in the first century, It's been true ever since. It's still true today. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background. It's good for us sometimes to understand where we're talking about, what's going on in history. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about Philippi because Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, right? The letters of Paul became the books. So when he wrote a letter to the Romans, it became the book of Romans, When he wrote letters to the church at Corinth, it became 1st and 2nd Corinthians. When he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, it became the book of Philippians, right? So he's writing this book to the people, to the believers at Philippi. Now, Acts chapter 16 gives us a glimpse into the beginning of that church. I want you to listen. You don't have to flip there, but I want you to listen. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul, right, who wrote the book of Philippians, the letter to the church at Philippi. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now I'm gonna give you a couple of cities that I'm gonna show them to in just a second. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. 
and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate to the riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who'd come there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now listen, they're speaking to this woman. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so the church at Philippi was born. Now listen, Paul listens to the calling of the Lord. He sails to Philippi. He listens to the call of the Lord and goes to this location, witnesses to this one woman, Lydia. She's saved and a church is planted. Now, here's the idea. How many churches? You're going to think I'm crazy. How many churches does the Lord want to plant through this congregation if we'll simply be faithful to his calling? It takes one person to listen, doesn't it? Paul may be saying, you listen, I need you to witness to this person. How do you know that God's not going to use that person to create the next Billy Graham or plant the next church or start the next revival? Right? Sometimes we, we think about the, the, the story of God and it's grand and it's beautiful and it's long lasting and all of those things are true, but it usually just starts with one person. Right? Everything you're reading in the book of Philippians happened because Paul listened to the Lord, witnessed to Lydia, and boom, the rest is history. What's the Lord leading you to do? Now, I want to show you where Philippi is. I think it's sometimes helpful for us to get a picture of what's going on in our minds, at least to know kind of where we're talking in the world. So let's pull that map up if we would. We've created this little map for you to kind of understand what's happening. This is going to be a, a diagram of the second missionary journey of Paul. Okay, we're down in Israel, Lebanon area. Paul's going to go to Antioch. He wants to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit leads him instead to Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece. He goes through modern-day Turkey. There's Troas that we read about, sails up to Philippi, and eventually makes his way down to Athens. Now, this part of the world now, Macedonia and Philippi, as you'll see, are in modern Greece. Okay, it's kind of interesting. If you look over to the side, you see Turkey, the western side of Turkey, Izmir right there. Uh, Ephesus is just north. Uh, the churches, the seven churches of Revelation are all on the western coast of Turkey. So a very important location historically, biblically. Paul travels there because the Lord has called him to Philippi. Philippi, back before the Romans took over, was a Greek settlement. And uh, Philippi was an important place because uh, Philip of Macedonia became the king and they named it Philippi after him. But that was where Alexander the Great, who was Philip's son, began his journey. Alexander the Great, 19 years old, conquered most of the known world all the way to India, eventually died. So when the Greeks kind of took over, they ruled most of the known world. When they eventually kind of uh, died out, the Romans took control. And so when Paul writes, as is the case with most of the New Testament, the Romans are in charge. So Paul's writing this letter from a prison, probably in Rome. Now, but Paul's got all that in mind. He's got the struggles in mind. He's got the problems he's faced. He understands the struggles of the church at Philippi. He's probably in a jail cell, maybe even chained to the wall. And he writes an interesting phrase. Go back to the text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to notice what Paul says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. 
Now, that's kind of a nice way of putting it, but a lot of scholars and even some translations don't use the word servant. Instead, they use the word slave. Paul was a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think any of us have ever lived through that, but we understand the, the, the scar on history of slavery. We get that. We understand how wrong it was. In the first century, slavery was pretty normal for most people. They understood it. Some people had lived through it. They certainly had seen it. But the idea of slavery, this is important. The idea of a slave is when you're a slave, you have no right or freedom yourself. You have very little, if any, personal choice, and you have to submit totally and completely to your ruler. So if we kind of take that idea, again, the, the idea is always to understand the context of when it was written. What did Paul mean by this? When Paul talks about being a servant, being a slave, what did he mean by that? He meant that he allowed the Lord to control everything about him. He was a slave to Christ. Now here's the question. This is the struggle. Who or what are you a slave to? Like if I could be really honest, if we could kind of be dead level honest and make, maybe tra- take some truth serum and have to tell the truth, you should tell the truth anyway. But let's say we had a pill that made you tell the truth. And I said, I want you to list for me the things in your life that are most important. What do you serve? What are you a slave to? I wonder how far down the list Christ would be. Like, could we say with all honesty that we are slaves to Christ? Right, 1 Corinthians 6.19 gives us this interesting phrase. I want you to listen to what it says. It says, do you not know that your body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Listen, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There's this idea in Scripture that we are slaves to Christ. Are we willing to allow him to control everything? Because here's the problem for most people. We'll allow him to control some things, and then we want to keep some things to ourselves. That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say we're a servant of the world and sometimes Christ, a slave of the world and sometimes Christ. Paul says we are servants, we are slaves to Christ. Now pull that text up again. Pull the verse up. I want you to see it. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that's the first truth, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Here's truth number two. Not only are we slaves to Christ, we are saints in Christ. Slaves to Christ, saints in Christ. Now, a saint is a believer. It's a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. So if you've given your heart and life to Christ, if you've repented of your sins and turned to Jesus, you are a saint. And the idea of a saint in the original Greek was one that was separated, one that was set apart. It's the same idea of being holy. The Bible talks about holiness and how the Lord is holy and we're to be holy. The idea there is we're to be set apart. We're to be different from the world. In fact, 1 Peter 1 Beginning in verse 13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." 
Right? When we are in Christ, we are set apart. That means we are different. Now, we understand the idea of position, don't we? We understand the idea of being in something, right? We are in a building right now. You're going to be in your car later this afternoon. You're going to be in your house. You're going to be in a restaurant. Sometime this week, you're going to be in your place of employment. But I want you to see some things in the scripture, especially in the book of Philippians, that will help us understand a little bit more about what it means to be in Christ. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to notice just a few things. We're going to flip to a couple of verses here. Actually, you're not even going to have to flip the page. It's going to be right there on the first page. But I want you to notice three things that help us understand what it means to be in Christ. If you are in Christ, you should have new affections, new feelings. Here's what Philippians 1.8 says. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Watch. When you are truly in Christ, you feel differently about things. You perceive things differently. You react to things differently. And so you need to ask yourself, listen, am I living my life in Christ in such a way that I feel differently about the world? I feel differently about that person that has wronged me. I feel differently about that person that's been unfair to me. I feel differently about that person that's lost and needs Christ. When we're truly in Christ, we should feel different. We should have different affections toward the world. A second thing when we're in Christ is we have a new mind. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ, you think differently, right? Not only do you have different feelings about the world, not only do you respond differently, you think differently. Why? Because Christ has led you to be different. Thirdly, you have new encouragements. Philippians 2.1 says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right? When we are in Christ, we have new encouragements to love people differently, don't we? When we're in Christ, we have new encouragements to find unity within the body. We find encouragement to have compassion and affection and sympathy. All the words there in Philippians 2.1, right? When we are in Christ, we are different. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. We don't think the same. We, we had the opportunity yesterday. Some of you were involved with this. We did a bed build yesterday. If you don't know what a bed build is, there are, I think, 200 and almost 40, 235 or 240 children in Troop County in Troop County, that do not have a bed. Now, I didn't say they don't have a house or a car. They don't have a bed. So they're sleeping on a floor or a cot or maybe a sofa, wherever they can find a spot. And so there's an organization that we've partnered with, and many of you were there yesterday. We do bed builds. We build the bed. We take it to their house. We set it up for these children. There were a lot of people from church. There was a lot of fun. We worked for several hours yesterday to build those beds and get those things delivered. We'll deliver them later. Yesterday was just a build day. But here's the interesting thing. Yesterday was pouring down rain. Right? You probably noticed that. And we thankfully were uh, over on Lucan at, uh, is it New Horizons? New Ventures. Thank you, New Ventures. And it was pouring down rain. Fortunately, there's this big... Uh, a warehouse that they were able to set everything up. And so because of the rain, guess what? We went in the building. 
If we'd tried to do that work out of the building with all the rain, it would have been a very different experience for us. We've been soaking wet, probably not in as good of spirits. Uh, the electrical tools probably wouldn't have worked too well in the rain. It would have been a mess. So instead, they were able to move everything in the building. When they went in the building, everything changed. When we are in Christ, everything is different for us. You understand? You think differently, you feel differently, you act differently. Here's the problem. We like to kind of we like to kind of dabble in Christ and then we like to kind of take a step back and stay in the world, right? And then we like to come and dabble in Christ and then we take a step back and we stay in the world. That's the life we live a lot of times. We like to be in Christ when it's important. We like to be in Christ when we're in church, when we're in Sunday school class, when we see somebody from church out in the world, right? When we see uh, Adam in a restaurant, right? We, we're in Christ then. We're going to talk about things in the church then. I'm just kidding. We're in Christ sometimes and then sometimes we're not. When can we get to the point? When can we get to the point that we're in Christ regardless at all times? Whether we're around people or not, whether we're at home or at work, at church, Walmart, wherever the case may be. When can we live our lives so we're always in Christ? Right? Paul says, listen, we need to be servants of Christ, saints in Christ, and then pull the text back up again as we kind of finish this thing up this morning. Look at the next verse. Grace to you and peace from Christ, God our Father, and, excuse me, grace to peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of, in, and now, truth number three, grace and peace from Christ. We get our provision from Jesus. Let me define these two words for you very quickly. Grace is free and undeserved favor. Peace is unity and love among brothers and sisters in Christ and especially within the church. And here's the problem with grace for far too many people. They don't understand it. They think if, listen, if I'll just do one more Bible study or I'll go to church one more time next month or I'll give a little bit more money, God will love me more. But I've had people explain it to me. They think God's kind of in heaven and they're just, he's kind of watching us. And if we don't do enough good stuff, he's going to kind of zap us. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture, right? Let me just be plain about this. You cannot do anything to make God love you more. Do you understand that? It's unmerited. If you could earn it, it would not be grace. It's free. And so we see wrapped up in our salvation is this free gift of God. So we read in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Ephesians 2, I love Ephesians 2, because if you struggle with the idea of works in your salvation, like you can work enough to earn salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a great place to go. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Watch, this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God has given us this grace. We receive from the Lord grace and peace. Here's the problem. Sometimes we don't understand how beautiful of a picture that is. I don't know that we'll ever fully understand this side of eternity, the beauty of grace and what it really means to us. C.S. Lewis said this. This is one of my favorite quotes by Lewis. He said, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Listen, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and lust 
and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's true. We get wrapped up in trying to find all sorts of things from all sorts of other people. We try to find all sorts of things from the world or from friends or from addiction or on and on the list goes. Paul says, listen, our foundation, our hope is the grace and the peace that we find in Christ. It's a free gift. Paul has set forth for us this beautiful foundation, this beautiful picture and understanding of being servants of Christ saints in Christ, receiving grace and peace from Christ. The question is, are you going to take this truth and live your life based on Jesus doing all things for you, trusting him, following him, living for him, trusting him in all things? The more we trust him, the more we follow, the more we listen, the more we're blessed, and the more we see that Christ loves us, died for us, and has a perfect plan for our lives.